Hello and welcome back to Beniah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 22. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. 2 Samuel 11.14 The land will pass to the daughters as there is no male heir, David determined in the case before him. Thank you, my lord, the woman said with a bow. As she left the room, one of the guards at the door announced, Uriah the Hittite, sire. David looked up, perhaps surprised that Uriah had arrived within the week. Approach, the king said. Uriah bowed to the ground before David. Beniah fixed his eyes forward, glancing only occasionally, wanting to avoid any eye contact with the man. He had been dreading this day for two months. Uriah, old friend, it's good to see you. You may stand. Uriah straightened. Benaiah was surprised that the king would refer to him as an old friend. They had great camaraderie back in the wilderness days, but even then, everyone understood David was superior to them. How much more was he now that he was the king? How are you? David asked. I am well, my lord. And how is my nephew Joab? He is leading well, as usual. And how is morale among the troops? Morale is always high when we are defeating my lord's enemies, Uriah smiled. David seemed not to hear the answers to his questions. So, there is good progress in the battle? We have besieged Rabbah and have destroyed all Ammonites who have come up against us. General Joab doesn't anticipate it will be much more than a month before they surrender. Good, good. Yes, very good. Could this report not have been sent as a missive rather than delivered in person by a top soldier? Or a less valuable soldier could have been sent to relay the information? David looked around the room as if searching for another topic of conversation. Any losses on our side? None, my lord. Benaiah was not surprised at that. The lord was with them. Thank you for the report. My lord, Uriah bowed again. Since it's too late to travel back to the battlefield tonight, why don't you go to your home and see your wife? What was her name again? Bathsheba, my lord. Ah, yes, Bathsheba. Relax. Enjoy yourself with Bathsheba. Get a bath to wash off the grime of battle. Sleep in your own bed. Yes, sire. Uriah snapped to attention, turned sharply, and left the common room. As soon as Uriah left the room, David summoned another servant forward. Go to the kitchen and have the cooks prepare a basket of whatever is on the menu for dinner tonight. Include a bottle of my best wine and flowers. Send it to the home of Uriah the Hittite. Quickly. What was that about? As Benaiah arrived at the palace, the sun had just risen behind him. He saw a group of four soldiers, including Uriah, at the guardhouse, leaning against the wall. Their bedrolls beside them, their untrimmed beards and remnants of the breakfast that had been delivered to them on the ground, all testified that they had not even gone inside to sleep in the guardhouse outside the palace. Benaiah stopped to speak to them and was not surprised to learn they were itching to be dismissed by David so they could return to their fellow soldiers and the battle for the town of Rabbah. Why would the king single me out to bring a battlefield report in person when General Joab has been sending written accounts periodically already? Uriah asked Benaiah pointedly. Benaiah wondered the same thing, but instead he answered vaguely, The king doesn't inform me of his reasoning for his actions. How true that was. Ours is not to question orders, but to follow them. These were the words he lived by, but did he have no obligation to think things through? How much responsibility fell on his own shoulders when he obeyed wicked commands? If the circumstances were different, would he want someone to tell him if something similar had happened with the king and his wife? Or would he prefer never to find out? 
He had no answers. These were the thoughts that stole Benaiah's sleep. But Uriah knew nothing of his struggles, and Benaiah determined it would remain so. Benaiah changed topics and inquired after his friend Mikhail and asked them to inform him that his newest son was now walking. How he missed his childhood friend and that life and the fellowship of the other soldiers. They were like brothers to him, more so even than his elder brother Shalom, the priest. He and Benaiah were such opposites in every way, you'd never know they had the same parents. Benaiah found it hard to talk to Uriah, knowing what he knew. Seeing him now, part of him wanted to blurt out what had happened between Bathsheba and David, confess it. He hadn't done enough to stop it on his part. Benaiah had often wondered if he should inform him, but quickly concluded that no good could come of it, other than perhaps an easing of his own guilty conscience. Besides, it was David's sin to confess. Benaiah tried to understand David's rationale in summoning Uriah. At first he hoped it would be to confess their sin in person, but that didn't happen. What then? Restitution, perhaps? Did David desire to do something positive for Uriah to make up for what he did with his wife without revealing the reason for it? Was David attempting to placate both Bathsheba and Uriah by allowing the two of them some time together? That would explain the special meal, wine and flowers. Had David recognized that Bathsheba probably missed her husband and needed to see him? and his guilty feelings caused him to want to solidify their marriage? After all, they had no children yet to take up her time while her husband was away. Yes, that would have made Benaiah feel better about his king. David sinned, and grievously so, but at least he felt bad about it, didn't he? And he was doing something to try to make it right. But now Benaiah realized that neither confession nor restitution was on David's heart. So why had he summoned Uriah? Did David's interest in Uriah have anything to do with Bathsheba? When Benaiah reported to David that he had seen Uriah that morning, David snapped, Have Uriah the Hittite, report to me at, right away. Uriah arrived soon after, his appearance not much different than the day before, no freshly washed hair, fresh tunic, or trimmed beard. He bowed deferentially. Uriah, my friend, David said, his voice taking on an obvious note of concern. You've made a long journey from a fierce battlefield. You must be tired of sleeping on the ground. Why did you not go down to your house last night? Uriah's mouth fell open. Then he quickly closed it, thinking for a moment before he spoke. The ark and Israel and Judah are out under shelters in the field, he answered slowly. And General Joab and your other servants are camping out in the open field. Should I go to my house? to eat and drink, and to lie with my wife? I could not do such a thing. Benaiah heard a slight gasp from David. Was he surprised by Uriah's resolve? He shouldn't be. Had David forgotten the solidarity between soldiers? Had he already forgotten the rough life of a soldier since he had traded it for cushioned couches and musical performances? Apparently. David was not deterred. Very well. Remain here one more day, and I'll send you back tomorrow. Dine with me tonight. We'll talk about old times. David attempted a smile, but it lacked sincerity. What was going on in the king's mind? That evening, during the lavish meal of venison and fowl, Benaiah stood by the door. David repeatedly motioned for Uriah's wine glass to be refilled, while he made only a pretense of drinking his own. If Benaiah didn't know better, he'd conclude that David was trying to make Uriah drunk. But why would he do that? 
before long, Uriah was bleary-eyed and staggering. David draped an arm across Uriah's soldiers as if they were old friends rather than king and subject. Go on home now. Get some sleep, Uriah. He led the drunken soldier to the door where Benaiah was stationed. Benaiah, walk Uriah home to make sure he gets there safely. Then go home yourself. I'll see you both tomorrow morning. David glanced at Benaiah as he gave the order, but then quickly looked away. Was he remembering the last time he sent Benaiah to escort someone to that house? Benaiah remembered, and the memory burned his conscience. As Benaiah began to lead Uriah to the street that led to his home, Uriah brushed him off. Leave me, Benaiah. I'm not going there. But the king, Benaiah began. The king, Uriah sputtered, then thought better of finishing his sentence in front of David's loyal soldier. Never mind. Then Uriah turned and walked back to the guardhouse where he spent the previous night. The next morning, Benaiah passed the same group of soldiers outside the palace and again saw Uriah among them. When he arrived in the common room, Benaiah reported that Uriah refused to go home again the second night as well, but was outside at the guardhouse. David scowled and then told Shemaiah he desired to send a written message. The scribe readied his reed pen and a papyrus scroll. Address the message to General Joab, David began. The the scribe wrote and then looked up expectantly for more. Instead, David suddenly got up and pushed him aside with his elbow. He took the pen and scroll from him. I'll do it myself. Shemaiah's questioning gaze fell on Benaiah, who raised a shoulder in response. David wrote furiously, then ordered Shemaiah to seal the message with the royal seal. The scribe took the scroll back to his table and used the king's signet ring to impress the symbol of the Lion of Judah into wax. Summon Uriah the Hittite at once. David ordered no one in particular, but it was carried out regardless. David said he would not commence the day's work of hearing cases from the people until he had spoken with Uriah. When Uriah the Hittite was announced, he bowed again, but not as deeply. Was he tiring of these useless exchanges? David addressed his soldier. You may return to the battlefield. Was that relief on Uriah's face? And please deliver this message to General Joab for me. David handed the note to Benaiah, who placed it in the hand of his friend. Uriah took the scroll, bowed low before David, and left. The king was certainly exhibiting some odd behavior. The events of the past two days were inexplicable. Israel had already endured one moody sovereign in King Saul. What was it about power that changed men's behavior? Continue listening for Chapter 23.